G'day and welcome to the Andrew Price Podcast, the podcast for serious artists. Normally, I would be interviewing a serious artist, but instead, today is a special episode because I am going to be answering your questions. So last night, I tweeted, send me your burning CG or Blender-related questions and I will answer them. So here we are, starting with the first question from Kevin. Just Kevin. Kevin says, how can I motivate myself to create when I know that AI can carry out my imagination's instructions? I felt too unmotivated lately because of AI, not seeing the point anymore. It's interesting, like seeing the different artists' reaction to AI. Like some get like really thrilled and like jazzed up about they can create so much more, and then others are, um, I, I think, rightfully like looking at like, oh my god, what skills am I like? What my livelihood is depending on this, and that seems like it's not going to be there anymore. And it's relatable because, I mean, I myself have felt that before. And I know many artists that have felt like, how can you stay motivated now when it feels like everything you're learning is just going to be made redundant? Um, and I've even heard artists quote The Incredibles, you know, when, um, oh, what's, the, what's the guy's name? You know, the little boy who becomes like the villain in The Incredibles, right? And he says, when everyone is special, no one is, Right. And they say that, well, the implication is that this will apply to art. When everyone can create art, then no one is special anymore. And there really, there is no art and there's no point to art because everyone can create it, right? But there is a flaw in that, a big flaw, because in the movie, superpowers are binary. But it, art, of course, is not binary because quality is not binary. It is a moving scale and you could argue it is a moving target, right? Entertainment has not peaked. Art has not peaked. There will always be new ideas and new improvements to be had. And provided that room for improvement still exists, then there will, there will always be more to create, more studios hiring, more production starting, more jobs for people who are creatively minded. What you have to remember, though, is that the problem has changed. Okay? So the problem that art solved yesterday is different to what it solves today and tomorrow. A year ago, the problem that artists were solving was to just create a pretty image, right? A lot of the work went, you know, both in 2D and 3D was in the rendering stage, right? The shading, uh, getting things, you know, to match a photo quality, right? The problem of tomorrow is to create a better image, okay? So, for example, there is a tutorial that is on my YouTube channel and it showed you how to create a cabin in the woods using Blender, okay? Now, uh, it was a long tutorial. I think it was like 20 minutes long and it was even like condensed because it was like months of my work, right? And so it was creating this long, you know, cabin in the woods tutorial. But just for fun, yesterday, in fact, I opened up Midjourney and I typed in cabin in the woods. <laughs> and in four words, I got arguably a better result in about 10 seconds. Right? So how can you say, like, what does that mean? That really sounds like we're all going to be replaced. Okay, the problem has changed, right? The problem used to be create a pretty image. Now that problem has changed to create a better image. The problem that you need to solve now is how to make a better cabin in the woods, right? So maybe the building has more interesting shapes. The, the building that I had in that tutorial was horrible. This was like simple looking thing. It was terrible. Uh, maybe it, it tells a better story, right? So it has set dressing to tell the story about a character or a scene or uh, something interesting about the life of the person or 
in relation to something else, or maybe it incorporates animation, or it's how you've interpreted it, or something new, right? So that target has now moved to something else, right? Or maybe it's just like not to create a cabin in the woods at all, but something else, you know, entirely that would fit, you know, the solution of the problem that that cabin in the woods thing is, you know, for a client or something like that, right? So that's the bit that has, has changed. So remember, artists aren't being replaced. Generally, workflows are. So whenever someone says like artists are being replaced, just replace artists with workflows and generally it fits. So another similarly related question from Subham Tripathy. Tripathy, yeah, okay. Uh, is 3D going to be a reliable career option? I'd love to know your opinion on this. Yeah, so related to that, um, I think the issue with this and why so much of our thinking goes back to like, am I gonna lose my job? Right, it's that humans are geared towards loss aversion, right? We're much more, um, I've done so many experiments on this, right? Like people are much more motivated when they are losing like $50 of their own money versus gaining $50 that they don't have yet, right? We're much more protective of that than the $50 that we could gain, right? And so similarly, we're always going to visualize the things that are lost. And also, we know what those things are. We know those jobs that exist. But it's much harder to visualize the opportunities that will arise from the falling costs of something, right? And there are many of those, but it's hard to think about. And we're also just not primed to think about them because it's a gain, not a loss. So if basically, if you think CG is big now, wait until CG is incorporated into every major sector on the entire planet, right? Like I think 3D today is where photography was about 30 years ago, right? It was like an expensive niche skill that a few knew about, like very technical people, and it was just kind of its own thing. And only the very rich and wealthy could afford to do it very well. Well, today, thanks to cameras being cheap and way, way, way higher quality, they're now used by everyone and pretty much every business. So here, for example, here's some like, like, top of the head, like business opportunities, right? Like fashion, right? Fashion has wanted to use CG for a long time, but it is so expensive and there's too much to figure out, right? Like you've got the threads and the, the folds and the cuts and just fabric is very expensive. So they're still doing things practically, right? The design of it, the trade shows, the models are flown in to do these like single poses, you know, uh, the, uh, what else would it be? Uh, like, yeah, uh, trying on, clothing, right? You have to physically drive to a store, try it on, look in the mirror, right? They want to be able to let clients try it on virtually, either with an AR headset or like your phone or something like that. And it's just too costly to do. So fashion has not really been able to adopt 3D. But when it does, that is like trillions and trillions of dollars, right? There's so many jobs in just fashion alone. You've also got like events, trade shows, conferences, live performances, all of which stands to scale massively and gain a lot by switching to CG. But there is still so many challenges to overcome. Uh, there's latency, there's the, like the realism of 3D, all of this stuff that is just done better practically. So practic practically is still what we do, but they would love to switch to CG, which it could get there once costs fall. Another one is education, right? Which everyone hates. Everyone knows that school is terrible. We're still doing the same old classrooms come in there, read like a, a very complex problem or a concept 
right, from a science textbook, which would be much easier to explain if it was visualized in 3D or something that you could interact with, right? Think of the people, if they could like, kids could understand like molecular biology, if they could see uh, the cells move around or they could interact or they could do experiments virtually, right? using AI or something to kind of like augment that, I don't know, or to augment the child's learning by giving them like one-on-one -on -one feedback, like all this stuff, like education stands to gain a huge amount by CG. Um, and it just largely has not really been touched at all. Um, you've also got like digital twins, right? This concept of digital twins, we've tried to get into it with Polygon and sort of realize that like, it's just too early Right? Like it's still way too expensive for most companies to create digital twins of their items. So billions is spent every year on producing like prototypes, uh, constructing buildings, interior design, just like furniture alone, all of which could be done way more efficiently and environmentally friendly if it was done in CG. Because you could like just mock up something, mock up a, a building, mock up a design, try out different digital twins of the real world before you actually go and buy the thing and then realize it sucks. And then you just have to throw it out and get a new one or something else, right? Like, so this is another space, right? Like it's, it's basically everything in the practical world. And then you've got the current ways that CG are being used currently, right? But just like costs falling. And so therefore number of productions going up, right? Like the number of AAA games released every year, like you could probably count them on one hand, right? But the number of indie games produced per year is like thousands, like probably, I don't know, tens of thousands, I think it is, right? If you look on Steam, like the titles released per day, um, it's a lot. And yet the difference between AAA quality and indie quality is drastic. And it's the reason it's drastic is because of costs. Um, I think they estimate like, you know, Red Dead Redemption, they estimate like $200 million spent producing that. Like it's astronomical. You'd be mind blown at how costly it is to build like a simple level of AAA quality. Or what if every indie game had the graphics of a AAA title today, right? Like what would that do? Like what could you do with that? What type of stories could you create? What type of experiences could you create? Like, and that's, that's gaming. Then you've got like VFX and animation. Like what if there were hundreds or thousands of movies made like Avatar? right? With not actors, or, but like virtual actors or like just like single person productions making an entire movie, right? When costs fall, you could feasibly create something like that. That just seems impossible today because it really is impossible today without investing decades of your own time or something to do it. So really to say we're all losing our jobs is to ignore the growth of industries that faced automation in the past. So long as you're not a chimp pulling a lever, <laughs> right? That is the caveat. That is the toughest pill to swallow. Um, there are people like that who prefer to, they don't want to learn anything new. They're happy with the skill sets that they've got. And those are the people who are at risk of losing their job. But provided you are still hungry to learn and still prepared to, prepared to pick up a new tool when one is available to you, then there will always be more opportunities to you. I truly do believe that. But again, the tough pill to swallow is that you will need to learn new skills. Okay, uh, next one. This question, by the way, I'm reading like, I've got this little teleprompter set up and I've got like the Twitter questions there. That's why it looks like I'm looking at the camera, but I'm actually reading the questions on the screen. Which types of skills will become obsolete in the near future? And which skills should people new to the industry focus on? We can fight AI as much as we want, but it is not going anywhere. And I think the conversation should focus more on how we prepare ourselves for it. And I think that is the right mindset, by the way. Um, I think that 
so much of the discussion for the arts community at the moment is around like the ethics and like how can we stop this um, because of you know the data sets that we used and it's using everyone's work or something like that and I think you know there's a, a there is I, I mean I do get it there is like an argument to be made for that I just don't think it matters in the long run um, because we're already seeing ethical AI models being created, like Adobe's created one, Firefly, that didn't use that copyrighted pool and they're still able to get really good results. Um, I've heard that Adobe is also creating AI for, um, maybe I'm not allowed to say it. Well, anyways, um, but they're, they're, they're working with artists internally to create different styles, right? So rather than having to pull from ArtStation and go this style, this style, this style, they're hiring artists to create certain styles and then feed that into the data. So basically these ethical models will come. Um, that's why I kind of think it's just like not the best use of our time. It's kind of, it's just buying time really to like the ethical thing and like trying to do lawsuits and stuff. I'm not saying that there's not a place for that. I just don't think like if you're an individual, an individual artist and you're looking for like, what can I do? The best use of your time is to like, yeah, just kind of, yeah, level up, right? Like, accept that AI is here. Now, what do I do about that? So, as I mentioned before, jobs don't disappear. Skill sets do. Workflows do. So, provided you're prefer prepared to keep learning, you're going to be fine. The only people that risk losing their jobs to automation are those that do not want to learn anything new. So, remember that. The skill sets that are likely to disappear, if you ask me, are anything that is overly manual, mathematical, or heavily repeatable. Right, so obvious ones, UVs, right? That's something that a computer is way better suited for than an artist trying to like find the optimal use for where those UVs fit in the square. Retopo, that's another one. It's like a mathematical puzzle for people who happen to like mathematical puzzles, right? No one really enjoys doing it. That's why the kind of the meme is like, let's automate it. Um, mesh cleanup, right? Similar thing, all that kind of stuff. Like that's a skill that you can just like reliably depend upon it being automatable in the future. So if your skill set is that at the moment, I would be looking to upskill, up right? Um, and along with that, there are also like large parts of pipelines, um, like asset creation that are extremely repetitive. And I think that although it's probably not like likely that you'll be able to create like AAA quality assets for a while, I would say maybe five to, well, that's the other thing. Like, yeah, you could probably get one that could make like one chair, right? But then what about a car? What about not a car, but a tank or not a tank, but something that doesn't exist yet. Like, like to create something that actually works reliably for 99% of the subjects you feed it, that's really the challenge. And that's the reason I don't think it'll be more than like, closer than like five years. I have seen, I, I don't, I don't send me the links. I have seen them like oh, Adobe, Nvidia. We keep an eye on this at Polygon, right? <laughs> Our business is based on assets. We're keeping an eye on it. We've seen all of them and like, they're all like very like mushy, um, you know, and they fall over in some things and they're better at other things. And like, it's not even close to AAA quality, right? So that's why I kind of put it at like five years, right? So I don't think it'll get there, but I will think that asset generation uh, will be augmented um, pretty soon, right? So for example, like the workflow for like just creating a chair, right? You go online, you gather photo reference, then you have to hand model it in Blender, then you download textures from Polygon, uh, then you open it in like Substance Painter, then you paint onto it and you do the details, then you have to bake it from high to low, then you export it, right? This is very repetitive. Um, a lot of it is mathematical and a lot of it is very manual labor intensive, right? So 
These skills will continue to be valuable in the future, but large parts of them will be augmented. So for example, you could get a pretty good result of that chair via a prompt, right? But you'd have to know like how to improve it, right? So you might have to know like technically like the fabric of that, that chair that it came with. It's kind of low res or maybe it needs more detail. Maybe I could art direct that chair to be like kind of slanted or have like a different design that better suits this purpose over here, right? So that's where your skills will be used. And yeah, fixing a lot of the issues that come with that. I mean, in much the same way that like animators today, they start with mocap as a reference and then they manipulate that and they art direct that and they really like fine it down to basically using more of their time where it should be spent, which is like creatively, not this like manual, get the base result stuff that's really time consuming. Um, that's, I think, gonna apply to 3D. So yeah, really like animation, you look at like mocap and what's happening there. I think that's exactly what's gonna happen to 3D and a lot of like, 3D pipelines. So yeah, anyways, if you're a student today and you're wondering like what skills should I focus on? What do you think is valuable? Um, I would just keep creating, right? I know that sounds like, like generic and like just keep doing it, but there's a reason for this. Like if you focus on producing and creating new projects, like, I don't know, doing a render a week or starting a short film project or a, a video game or a VFX project or something like that, even though you will learn skills today that will be made redundant within five years. Um, and by the way, that's like not, nothing new with AI there. Like that's just been how 3D has always been. There's always been stuff like the old Photoshop workflow, Photoshop workflow of texturing no longer applies today. Everyone's having to switch and learn substance designer and substance painter. So everybody's always had to learn stuff. It is happening at a more compressed rate, but yeah, anyways. so. A lot of that stuff will be made redundant, but in the, the the meantime, you will also be learning what quality is, right? If you've never touched 3D before, and then in the future you pick up like a 3D prompt, and then you just like type in like 3D thing and you get a model, you won't know which parts of it suck, right? So a client who is hiring a prompt artist, right? They're not gonna be happy with the work when the other client, their competitor, is working with an actual artist who knows what the technical issues were with that model, or that image or whatever it is, and they were able to make it better. So that's why knowing all this stuff today is going to help you down the line. So you're learning what quality is. And then also the most valuable thing is art direction. When you're creating these projects by yourself, these individual little tasks and short films and whatever it is, you're learning art directing, which is arguably the skill of the future learning how to solve that problem, whatever that problem might be, learning, yeah, the art direction of that, how to create something that's aesthetically consistent, um, good design, right? As I mentioned for the design of the house, like big, medium, small shapes, shape language, uh, interpretation, all this stuff that like Mid-Journey does not understand, right? It's very good at just like copying, right? Copying like just the exact thing that everybody happens to want. It's like, it's like a popular, image generator is what I kind of envision it. But again, when when everyone's special, no one is, right? There's a moving target, there's a moving quality, right? So all the clients, if they're now able to create the exact same images, they're suddenly like looking at each other, like we've all got the same images here, this kind of stuff, like I need something to level up. So they're gonna hire an actual artist who can create something that is better designed, right? With an actual artist who knows good design for the, the cabin in the woods thing, that's gonna sketch it out first to have good design and then they're gonna feed it through one of these things and they're gonna make something better. So that is the skill of the future is art direction. Um, and um, 
yeah, I think you can learn a lot by doing that. Next question. I've noticed that as I'm getting better at Blender, it takes longer to make better renders. Is this important? Yeah, um, sorry, is this important? Is this normal? Um, yes, it is. Uh, it's it's something you can kind of depend on. Like beginners always, like they're producing a lot of work really quickly and it's very sloppy. And the reason that you get slower, the more, yeah, the, yeah, the more skill you have is that for one, you know what, good is so your taste goes up and then because you know what good is you know the correct workflow you know what good topology actually is and generally what is good generally takes longer so therefore the more you know tends to be the longer things take but if you're a good artist you also have to be good at understanding what are the costs and compromises of these qualities and like when you're shooting for that like optimal everything has to be perfect triple a's quality standard asset that is one part of an entire scene, it's like, maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe I can get away with the sloppy workflow for just that one thing. So a good professional artist should also like kind of max out, like cap out their time spent on a thing. So that they're not just exponentially, like as you go up, taking longer and longer and longer to produce things. But actually that is quite normal for professionals. <laughs> they can become more and more of a perfectionist, um, which I've talked about in like my old um, Habits of Effective Artists at the Blondie Conference. All right, next question. This one comes from Luke23 Swoosh. All right. As a new starter in 2023, what do you think will be different in our journey compared to someone who started 15 years ago? Will it, be, will it be easier and would you specialize or stay generalist? Um, generalist, as I mentioned. Um, and yeah, it will probably enable you to do things. In fact, you can actually see it like on TikTok right and like reddit and like where a lot of these like younger artists are kind of hanging out they're not really on art station nowadays <laughs> like the young the young guys um they're creating things that um kind of like everybody wanted to do when they started 3d like 15 years ago they're creating like a single one person project of like themselves as spider-man jumping and like jumping through a city right um something like what peter francis Fr france what's his last name peter france i think it is um from like corridor he made like stuff like that like i would have loved to have done that when i started cg right like most of us we got into cg because we watched jurassic park right and we saw them like the dino like knock over the car and we're like i want to make that and then we started ourselves and we go i can't make that <laughs> like making that one single car will take me months of work and I don't even know where to start with a dinosaur. So we scale back and scale back. But now you've got like model libraries, you've got photogrammetry tools, you've got so much educational stuff on YouTube and people revealing their workflows. And you've also got like tools are now real time. So you can make that entire thing on one little laptop. So yeah, I mean, I think it is easier, right? If I'm the old guy sitting up on the hill talking about the young kids today, they've, they do have it so easy. Um, but what will be different yeah, is like tools will change much faster. Workflows will change much faster. Um, and I don't think that really matters. If you're a young person today, you're just hungry to learn everything new anyway, um, or at least you should be. Um, but uh, I, think, I think that's definitely, you know, you can guarantee like things are improving faster. Right, like three, like three D. Like you look at the old, like from where Pixar was with Toy Story One to like Toy Story Two, didn't really improve that much. Like the tools they're using, right? But like 
the same period today. Like, could you imagine like a five-year gap between softwares today and like five years in the future? It's going to be so different. So things are definitely changing faster. Um, but again, it's meaning costs are falling. So just like industries are like exponentially adopting CG. So um, there's so much opportunity out there. All right. Next question comes from Joe Haley, who says, do you think that we are close to seeing some sort of AI wizardry that could perfectly automate the process of retopology in Blender? Um, I've kept an eye on it. Like, I'm actually surprised that there isn't because I looked at it recently and I think it was just like Quad Reflow, I think is the one that was the best one that I found. I put it on my YouTube shorts and TikTok, like the best Blender add-ons that I recommend. I think it was Quad Reflow. Um, there's not really like it, it is actually quite a hard problem to solve, like how to do retopo well, because you have to know like how to like keep a silhouette consistent, how to simplify some things, but not simplify all the details. So you have to know like, OK, like all the little bumps across the surface of that photo scan statue, right, with every little nook and thing like not all of that matters. I can kind of smooth that out. Um, but like the, the silhouette is important, but this edge here, this specific one shouldn't be smoothed out so that it looks like bland. It should be kept sharp. So knowing where to keep sharpness and where to smooth something out, it's very challenging. Um, so I do think it is something that AI is poised to be very, very good at. Um, so I'm eagerly awaiting it like other people. <laughs> All right, uh, is, this one is from Raw Shash. Raw Shash, is photogrammetry considered art? No, um, no, if you ask me, it's not. I mean, I know like, what is that like philosophical question of like, what is art? Everything is art. It, anything, it's up to the individual of what can be considered art. And like the raindrop on a window could be considered art. And it's like, yeah, but then like nothing is art, right? It's like, if it's all up to the eye of the beholder, then yeah. But then the question is really like, what do we, do we call that art? Do we call a raindrop on a window art? When most people are talking about art, are they talking about raindrops, right? No, we're talking about something that is art in the traditional sense. I don't think photogrammetry is art. Um, uh, I'm sorry if that offends any photogrammetry artists, but I think any good photogrammetry artist would agree with that. <laughs> it's largely technical skill. It's like, it's more mathematical or, or I don't know, listen to the one that we just did with uh, Mason, actually talking about photogrammetry. It's so technical and it's understanding like physics of light and like reflections and neutralizing and, and, and color balance. And really like, it's like, yeah, like you get better and better and better at it. The more you like, the more nerdy you get, the more technical you get, photogrammetry gets better. So by itself, if you photo scan a chair, I would not really call that art. Um, the art I would call is like something stylized or something that you've somehow interpreted into something else, not just like a physical capturing of the thing as it exists. Anyways, next question. Dem Nico Art says, top three best and worst things about Blender. <laughs> what are the top three? Okay. Um, I mean, Blender's definitely accessibility, right? Like the education, the compatibility with like uh, operating systems, the lightweight nature of it, uh, the user interface, which some people might cringe at, but like used to be horrible. Uh, the community overall, just people sharing things. That's definitely something you don't find with uh, all software packages. In fact, most. Um, it's also very good at look dev. Right, like visualizing things quickly and just seeing them in real time, thanks to EV. 
Um, and then also rendering. Um, so that'd be my top three, accessibility, look dev and rendering. So cycles rendering is, it's actually, it's almost like world-class, like best in its class. Like I think like V-Ray in our render engine comparison video we did, I think V-Ray did beat it out on like the, uh, when it was using like that secondary solver method, but like cycles X is like really damn close to it. And it's using the brute force method. So it's, pretty impressive what cycles is doing so it's yeah it's almost the best like the best render in my opinion it is um anyways um the worst so what is the worst best and worst um i would say simulations every time i want to use blender for simulations, like i want to do like a fire simulation or like an explosion tutorial or something like that blender just sucks at simulations it's just kind of like from talking to developers at the blender conference i've learned that it's just like we need to have a developer who's interested in it and wants to solve it um, and wants to work on it really is the answer to like why why do some things just not get done in Blender? Like no one's interested in it. So sometimes people are and then it just, it picks up and it's great. But in this case, simulations, not really. Uh, texture painting, it's number two. Texture painting definitely sucks. And the whole like texture workflow, like substance designer, that kind of workflow should be in Blender and it's not. I think it's waiting for money <laughs> or a developer that's interested in it. Um, and then having talked to artists that are in animation and people that I know in the industry, um, animation, just the whole animation pipeline, rigging and animation um, is a weak area of Blender from what I have heard. Yeah. I don't know what specifics. I think that interview that I did with Sir Wade, he sort of mentioned some of those like layers. I know that much. Um, but that's why if you talk to like people in the industry, like everyone is like, oh man, Blender is so great. I really want to use it at my studio, but like, ah, the animation, like because of that, we just have to keep using Maya. But if you could fix the animation, we could switch from Maya to Blender. So I'm like, all right, well, the animation 2025 project is um, underway. So hopefully, fingers crossed, they'll fix the animation and then we'll start using it, see it used elsewhere. Um, Oh, look, it's related. When do you think Blender will be an industry standard? There are so many tiny indie game studios these days that are using Blender for making games, but still big studios rely on their old pipelines like Maya. What is your prediction for the future? Um, yeah, like it's it seems to be the animation. <laughs> Once they solve that, I think a lot of industries are going to start switching to Blender. The one thing that could kind of hold it back also is just the fact that like if you develop a custom version of Blender or you make a, a like an internal for your studio, right? Like a pipeline improvement that like a unique tool inside of Blender that like checks files. Like we've got one for like uh, Polygon, right? We make these like internal plugins for like rendering out our previews for Polygon and we use Blender for it, right? All the code that we write for that is technically open source. Not really a problem for us, right? Because it's not that much work. But other studios, they are investing millions and millions of dollars into making it so that their movies are cheaper to produce than other studios around them, right? They're in this competitive bid sort of environment. It's why like big studios, um, uh, you know, like DNEG and all these others, like they're worth millions of dollars, sometimes billions, like Weta. Um, and it's because of their, uh, yeah, their, their internal tool sets that they've built. Um, so the problem with like Blender being a widely adopted is that studios might not want to do that. It, they don't have to like release the code, right? 
to make it public. You could just hide it on the internal servers of their company and that's fine. And that's probably what all of them are doing currently. The problem is though, is that if one artist was to stick a USB in and steal that code and then release it onto the internet, right? They probably haven't done anything wrong because I think the open source code might trump what any code they've got, what any uh, um, contract they've signed internally about NDAs. I could be totally wrong there. Um, that's not legal advice at all. Do not follow my instruction there. But what I'm saying is, is like the open source bit of the code is very challenging. And it's also like hotly contested even. Developers say that the open, you can't force a plugin to be open source just because you wrote code to be compatible with this other software that is open source. So it's a, it's a tough question, but I think that that has like made a lot of studios kind of pump the brakes a little bit, or at least be reluctant to move over everything. But I also understand why Ton does not want to change that at all. It's, it's almost like it's a clash of like open source versus like the old capitalism. And like, do you want freedom for everyone and like to just be able to create more and more and more? That's the free for everything. But then if you also want like innovative tools and innovative concepts and innovative ideas and innovative things, then people want to return on those innovative things. And so therefore that's where the capitalism model works. So they're kind of bashing into each other. Um, but anyways, I think the capitalists might have to like enter submission. Like, okay, all right, Blender, you win. We'll, we'll adopt you. Pro tip for artists, learn how to use your time efficiently. If you are spending time making a shader that you've already built a hundred times before, that is time not spent somewhere else more important. Polygon solves this by giving you access to over 5,000 assets, which are plug and play. Shaders, models, and HDRIs that are created to a reliable, consistent standard, so you don't have to waste any time fixing them. And with our new Blender add-on, you can search, download, and import assets directly into your scene from your sidebar, meaning you can keep your focus where it needs to be, which is making good art. You can try 100 assets for free by clicking the link in the description or by going to polygon, P-O-L-I-I-G-O-N.com and signing up for a free account. Jonathan Simba says, what do you create when you have a computer that can barely render a slightly dense room? Um, yeah, that is something that a lot of beginners say is like, I've got a really crappy computer. Like, how can I learn Blender? How can I be good at it? You have to remember that like anyone who's good at Blender today is using computers that are exponentially worse than what you have today and using software that is exponentially worse, right? So I started using Blender when it was like 2.2 something way back in the day, 20 years ago. Um, and I was using like a Pentium 3. I was not even like rendering a field of grass took like hours and it was like not... 1080p it was like 600 by something like it was just horrible and there was no like particle tools it was all just like jagged shapes you do what you can with the tools that you have available to you so it does mean that if you're using a crappy computer today you can't expect to be rendering the very best like tech demo that just came out from someone right you look at like a Houdini thing and you're like, oh, look at the simulation. I'll never be able to render that. Like, yeah, it's like, that's the cutting edge. But you can render what everybody else was rendering five years ago, right? And also this doesn't get any, like I've got a computer that's worth like 20 grand, right? And uh, it's a Camino, uh, what's it called? I'm supposed to like shout it out. 
I'll put it in the description, I think, but it's a, it's a 20 grand computer. It's very expensive, but I still, I, f I face the exact same problems when it comes to rendering. I have to make compromises. I have to know which parts of the scene I can downgrade because I think there's even a word for it, but like a law that like, it doesn't matter how efficient you make something, people will always, they'll just find more ways to fill it up so that like basically a render will always take about a few hours per frame, right? And even if you crushed it down to like a fraction of that, right? People would then add like more particles and more data and more objects and make it even more realistic and add more ray trace and light pass and, and it would just fill up to that hour limit again, right? So the developers are like constantly crushing it down and developers are like, great, uh, sorry, artists are like, great, let's fill it up. It's, it's actually sounds similar to like traffic like I learned in LA that like they spent years developing um, this highway, right? And it took them ye like 10 years to build like one extra lane both ways on this highway. And then when they finally launched it, the, the day that the lane opened, um, like uh, I think it was like a week later, they, they checked like how much better traffic was. And for one particular route that would have taken 45 minutes, it was now thanks to the extra lane, 44 minutes, one minute saving. And the reason for that is that when things take a really long, like a slow time to, to go somewhere, then a lot of people just won't go. They won't leave the house. They won't start their journey because they know it's going to take too long. Ah, I won't bother visiting my friend for, for drinks. It's going to take too long. I don't want to sit in the car, right? But then when the time takes less, right, more people start traveling and then it eventually like caps out at where people go like, eh, this is too far. I don't want to drive anymore. So everyone kind of like maxes out. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And I think rendering is, um, is about the same. Um, and that's about it. Like, I, I mean, there were more questions, but I wanted to answer the, the top ones. Um, actually, I might, all right, I might, I might do a couple more since I've got time here, but I've got them on my computer now. I only put a few on the, uh, the old teleprompter there. Um, a lot of AI questions, which I've already answered. I think I kind of like beat the drum on that, beat the dead horse. I don't know. Um, what will replace polygons and when? What? Oh, there's a number of questions there. But what will replace polygons? It's SDF, signed distance fields, or SFD, signed field distance. Uh, but it's voxels, basically. If you look at um, Substance Modeler, actually, is like the most innovative there, I think. It's getting away from polys and like topology and all that kind of stuff. Let's just do it all with like blobs, right? And like you can bully in a blob, you can twist it, you can make it sharp, you can do it. Basically treat it like actual clay, not like this pretend clay that we've got for sculpting right now, where it's like it's at, it looks like clay, but it's actually lots of polygons in the background that are fighting with each other. Actually make it real clay and then you do the topology after that, right? So like once I've finished modeling my exact thing, then I choose how do I want it to actually be retopologized or exported. Um, and I think that's, that'll be very exciting. Um, next, this is a trend among Blender users that go on to study CG and animation in educational environment. Blender is very looked down upon. Why is there less respect for Blender? Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it really matters though. Um, <laughs> I mean, because like I, I, when I used Blender 20 years ago, like Blender, like a lot of people didn't even know what Blender was. And then when they did, they hated it and they said it was a joke and no one would ever take it seriously. And now look where it is. So it doesn't really matter. Um, it, I guess it does matter if you're in a school that's like, ah, it's not serious software, you know. Um, 
but yeah, it is annoying, right? Because um, I think it actually comes like the less experienced you are, um, or like if you think you're experienced, but you're actually not, you might think like, oh, actually like Maya has to be the one because that's the one that the industry uses and like they wouldn't use it if it wasn't great. And it's like, well, no, they could just be like, it's an old industry and they've invested so much into the pipeline and there's a cost of switching and yada, yada, yada. But Blender is actually the best solution if you were to start again today. It could be that. Um, but anyway, yeah, why is there less respect? I mean, it, it'll change when tools improve and like if Blender can fix the animation and the get texture painting and uh, uh, simulation, like all that stuff, like slowly just chip away at what it's bad at. Um, it'll be taken more and more seriously. Uh, 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 what file format should I be exporting my models to? FBX, DAE. It's all USD, .USD. That's what you should be using. Um, but really, it depends on what you're going to be using it for. But USD is the universal one that is going to be adopted everywhere. And it does everything. So you should use that. Definitely the most powerful. Um... Mm -mm -mm. Oh, how did you learn Blender when there was no donut tutorial? Everyone knows you start with the donut. I learned by following blog articles back in the day, um, HTML pages that people wrote. There was a, a gingerbread tutorial, gingerbread man tutorial back in the day. And that was the old donut. The OG donut was the gingerbread man. So I followed that. I think that was the first thing I ever did. Um, and then from there, I just tried to make things and I failed at them. And then I learned some more by reading more HTML pages on um, how to do things and forums. I followed instructions and it was just trial and error, trial and error. Um, no schooling involved, just trial and error. Just trying a new project, trying to figure out how to do it, not doing very well at it. Learning more tutorials, adopting that. Um, basically the exact same way that people learn today. It's just that there is a lot more to learn from, which is great for you. Uh, what minimum PC specs would you recommend for using Blender? I don't know the minimum specs, and I don't really know if they're... There actually might be some published on the Blender.org website. But honestly, if you want to know the best specs, because that is a common question people have, is like what uh, like hardware would you recommend for uh, rendering or like using Blender? Like what's the best graphics card? Just type in Blender Benchmark. And there is opendata.blender.org. You will see the results. It's basically like an open test that you can run on your machine. And then they like upload it to the site and everyone can see what is the best graphics card and what you can expect from that. So the top graphics card is, not surprisingly, a GeForce RTX 4090. Um, the top core CPU is an AMD Epic 9654-96 core process. 96 cores. Oh, and dual, two of them, fun. Um, but yeah, so I would go there if you're looking to buy anything and just see like, what can you expect for that thing? So, yep. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. Who would you say Blender's closest competitor would be? Blender is very versatile, but for individual parts, for instance, I think Moto is the best modeler, Houdini is the best for simulations. Well, that's it. Like, I don't think there's a closest competitor because, yeah, like, Blender sucks at simulations, but then it's very good at modeling. It's very good at rendering, um, look dev, lighting, um, you know. I don't know. Like, it's just compared with all the other all-rounders, right? Like 3DS Max, Maya, Cinema 4D, I think is really the closest competitor. But I don't know what it is closest to. Probably Max, if I had to guess. But then I've heard Cinema 40 is also great, but they're not great at other things. So it's very, very hard to, to say.
if there is to be a metaverse, will AI be the doorway into the metaverse for all? Will one platform platform dominate like Unreal Engine 5 or will it be open source like OpenSim? What tools will content creators need like Blender? How will we collect, author, protect and sell 3D content? Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, no one knows the future, so we don't know if there will be one metaverse. <laughs> Some people are like rolling their eyes at the metaverse question. I, I, I That's the other thing, like... It's such a hard extrapolation into the future because it's it's so lofty. It's like ah, in the future there'll be the internet. There'll be this internet informational superhighway, and everyone's like, mm, what? And then we're like, the metaverse. It'll be in the future, way, way in the future, and everyone will be on it. And everyone's like, mm, what? We don't know what it's going to look like, what problems there are, or if there'll be one or many. Um, I think it is definitely looking like the biggest players are Epic, of course, with Unreal Engine and the Fortnite editor and all that kind of stuff. Roblox, which is already arguably like a metaverse in and of itself, like kids are hanging out there. That's kind of the funny, like people say like, oh, the metaverse will never happen. It's never real. It's like talk to anyone under 18. They're probably already in the metaverse. It's Roblox. <laughs> it's like there are 20 million monthly active users in Roblox. It is insane how popular that thing is. And most people over 30 haven't really heard of it or used it. It's insane. Um, so Roblox is like building, they're in like Epic and that's kind of like Fortnite is trying to replicate what Roblox is doing by building this kind of open world where anyone can create their own content inside it. Um, you've got Meta, right? Facebook, um, they've got the hardware component. They've definitely got the best, you know, Oculus Quest or whatever. Um, or MetaQuest, I think they're calling it now. Like maybe they're getting rid of the Oculus plan. I don't know. What else? Um, NVIDIA with their Omniverse. I think that is actually a very underrated tool that a lot of people are going to be using more and more in the future. It's kind of like just a platform you can plug anything else into, like a digital, like when I'm talking about like digital twins and right, moving into the metaverse or moving into 3D. Like Omniverse, I think will be that platform a lot of people like plug their stuff into. Um, it's free works very well and it's being very cleverly built and i think nvidia has done a lot of very smart moves maybe apple if they can ever release their vr ar headset i mean they just tend to be very good at things so if they can ace the hardware thing they might be a strong contender i think that's probably no, I think, yeah it's probably why facebook is so into the hardware because they saw that they were really late to the mobile game and then they tried to release a phone when it was too late and then they failed at it and it was just a big flop. Now they're like, let's own the hardware because if we own the hardware, then we can't have Apple or Google blocking our app and our tracking and advertising and all that kind of stuff. If we don't own the hardware, we don't own anything. So they're kind of really leaning into the hardware. Um, but yeah, so like NVIDIA, Apple, Meta, Roblox, Epic seem to be the five biggest contenders if I had to guess for the metaverse but who knows it's the future the future future that's gonna do us though guys so thank you for watching listening to this podcast i know it was a bit of a short one but i hope it was um interesting and i'll see you in the next episode bye